You're listening to the best of the day. I say you, you the best. Halford and Bruff. 703 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. North Star! Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. There are three dealerships to serve you better. North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley, and Burrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. So, Jason, it is finally here. After month, I say it would be a four-month game preview. Yeah. We have finally reached the time of the year, and all of you in listener land can bask in the glow. Optimism is high. The The future is so bright. 82 games ahead, and the first one goes tonight. Canucks Oilers, 7 o'clock, Rogers Place in Edmonton. Uh, I'm going to throw out uh, a question to the listeners, a challenge. Text into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. What is the one thing? If you only if you can only pick one thing that you'll be watching for tonight, what is that? It could be something Canucks related, probably Canucks related, or it could be something on the Oilers side of the ice. Uh, I've come up with a list of things that I'll be watching for. Uh, for me, it starts with Brock Besser. Is this guy first of all? Is he going to play? And if he does play. Is he going to be healthy enough to hold down a spot on what the Canucks consider their top line with JT Miller at center and probably Pearson on the left side? Will his shooting be affected? Will his puck handling be affected? Don't forget, this is a guy that has rushed back from hand surgery. Um, He's practiced a little bit. He's been skating. Mm-hmm. His skating shouldn't be affected. And I imagine fitness won't be an issue. But not too long after having hand surgery, his shooting might be affected. His puck handling might be affected. And I wonder how much he's going to play. It's a bit of a weird thing to have this guy return to your top line and then you're, it, it, it's hard to be like, well, we'll just manage his minutes. He's on the top line. right? So that's one thing to watch for. The other one is Pedersen, who's obviously going to be one of the big keys to the Canucks' success or lack thereof this season. His play in the preseason was, in my opinion, the most encouraging thing about the preseason. With all due respect to other positive stories like Kuzmenko looking good, Nils Oman uh, grabbing a roster spot, allowing them to make the move that they did with Jason Dickinson. Uh, Petey was engaged, aggressive, confident-looking, dangerous from both a shooting and a playmaking perspective. Uh, he was back-checking. Like, he was excellent during the preseason. Mm-hmm. You can feel this guy's drive. You can feel how badly he wants to have a big season. Uh, he said that he learned a lot from last season about how it started, how he, uh, how he uh, lost his confidence and then rediscovered his confidence. Hopefully, you know, in a few years, we'll look back at that and go, wasn't that a crazy season? The way that went for Petey. Yep. What happened there? Maybe he'll look back on that and be like, I needed that to happen in order for my NHL career to be 
a success. Okay. Um, do you have any comments on that? I got a long list of things that well, I'm looking for tonight. Well, you got one, Besser, two, Petey. I see that number three is actually number four, the fourth line. An entirely new fourth line for the Vancouver Canucks going into tonight's game in Edmonton. The entire fourth line is new. You got Lazar, Oman, and Dakota Joshua. Not Joshua Dakota. He has two first names. Yeah, thank you. You're, you're so valuable. <laughs> I am. In these segments. I am. Uh, I'll be curious to see how much that line goes up against McDavid. How much they play, or, period. I think. Or Dreisaitl. Yeah, and what kind of style do they play? What's going to be a style that's successful for them? Is that going to be a heavy line? Is it going to be a fast line? I think it's going to be a heavy line if it's successful. I mean, we, we've seen Dakota Joshua. We know he's a big body, right? And mm-hmm. we know the Canucks want him to play a certain style to the point that Bruce Boudreau actually sent him a message at one of the practices pulling him off a line because he didn't like the lack of response in a preseason game. I'm not calling him the enforcer, but he has to be physical and he has to stand up for his teammates. I think people have really enjoyed what they've seen so far from Curtis Lazar in the preseason. Yep. He's looked, again, I'm going to use this word, engaged. He threw a big hit at the end of the the Coyotes game. He's going to be physical. Uh, The Canucks will need him on the PK for his right shot uh, face-off pros. And obviously, we're going to look to see if Nils Oman is up for this game, is up for the NHL, let alone this game. Will he get some time against McDavid? He did in the preseason. So... That's going to be something to watch for. And then, obviously, listen, we, we got to talk about the blue line. Um, everything about it, honestly. It, it, in my list of things to watch for tonight, I, I listed the defense. Everything. Um, how much is Quinn Hughes going to play? He's been feeling a little bit under the weather. Uh, I still think he's going to play, and I, th- I still think he's going to play a ton. Because don't forget, they're going to have a new player that they're going to throw into the fire in Riley Stillman, and he's going to be on the left side on the third pair, probably with Kyle Burroughs. How's he going to look? You know, Bruce Boudreaux was saying yesterday, like, oh, he's a quick learner. He seems to be a quick learner at practice. Like, okay. You know, most NHLers are. They're not like, do I, do I pass the puck now? What you do know, I like, do? What do I do? What, what do I do, I do with do? this what thing? Do I, what do I do? And he like shoots it over the glass or something. Was that the right play? No, it wasn't Riley. <laughs> uh, Tucker Pullman, who might replace Tyler Myers on a pairing with Oliver ekman Larson. Again, no Tyler Myers, no Travis Dermott, probably no Jack Rathbone unless Quinn Hughes isn't ready to go. Is Pullman ready to start fresh? Right. Four games over the final three months of last season. So he's been off ice for an awfully long time without seeing competitive NHL action. And it's a big moment because it's not like he can slot in and play nope. minimal minutes. If you're a top four defenseman going up against Edmonton, one, the matchups are going to be difficult. And two, the pace is probably going to be pretty high. So it's going to be a, an indoctrination of sorts for a guy that, yes, he's been on the job one year with the Canucks, but had the second half of his season derailed with the concussion issues. Sean and Calgary text in. One thing I'll be watching tonight is how quickly the Canucks can get the puck back in the defensive zone and transport it up the ice. That is the biggest key to season success for the Canucks. Yeah, I mean, this is this is hockey 101. Mm-hmm. If you can't move the puck, especially in today's NHL, you're in trouble. And, and look at this group of, of defensemen. This, these are not puck movers extraordinaire. I'll be curious to see if the Stillman-Burroughs pair 
can move the puck. Because if they can't, then they might need Jack Rathbone in there instead of Stillman or instead of Burroughs. The same would go with Pullman uh, paired with OEL. And this also falls on the forwards, right? This is part of this whole discussion about do you have enough hockey IQ, hockey sense? Yeah, you have the offensive talent in the forward group. Uh Do they have enough hockey IQ, two-way ability to really support their defensemen get open for passes, make it easier on their defensemen. And obviously this is going to be a test for Bruce Boudreau too. Well, I I think the interesting thing to look for here, and this is a game one thing, but also throughout the course of the first 20 games where you're trying to establish and dictate your style of play, is if they come out with a goal for quick, sharp puck movement out of their own end, tape-to-tape passes, and then if it's not working or it's not accurate – whether or not they revert to punt and hunt. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you can have the best intentions about how you right. want to uh, form an attack. I mean, it's uh, coaching soccer for forever. Mm. Everyone wants to play sexy football out of the back and tick attack and like one-two touch passing out of the back. But if you don't have the players or you don't have the ability, yeah. it's like no. Nope. Total football? <laughs> it's, yeah. Now we're doing Wimbledon <laughs> 1980s route one football and we're hammering it up the pitch. But the thing is, is it can be effective yeah. because it's simplistic. Yeah. Like there's a reason that the Canucks did what they did last year with that defensive group where it was a lot of let's flip it in and get it deep. It's because it doesn't ask a lot of your defensemen. And it doesn't require your forwards to go anything other than go get the puck, right? There's, well, there's, sometimes, sometimes it's just smart to put the puck into space, right? Like, like everyone kind of scoffs at long ball tactics in, mm. in soccer, football, or whatever. But at the end of a match, when you need a goal, it is very effective to drive the ball as deep and as high as possible yeah. and try and get onto a knock. See what happens. That's see, if, see if the other team makes a mistake. Uh, Roman in Calgary has sent in a text, and it relates to your final point. Or sorry, second final point on the list here. Not about the special teams, but about the goaltending. This might be the one area where I do pay more attention or am more intrigued by the Edmonton narrative than the Canucks narrative. Roman in Calgary writes, I will watch for how leaky Jack Campbell is. Go Canucks! So that's what he wrote. Jack Campbell is going to be worth watching. Um, obviously, Thatcher Demko, we, we expect him to be good. And if he's not good, all the plans go out the window anyway. Uh, Jack Campbell is going to have a lot of pressure on him. It's actually almost admirable to me that Jack Campbell signed up for this Oilers job because he went from Toronto where he had all sorts of pressure and it did not always end well mm-hmm. or never ended well. Let me correct myself. Yep. Uh, in the playoffs for the team, for anyone on the team, really. And then he goes to Edmonton where he's going to be expected to be, let's face it, the piece that puts them over the top. Do you, do you see how many people are picking the Edmonton Oilers to win the Stanley Cup this year? And yep. I go, yeah, I get it. Hey, look, look, look at the players they got up front. I'm not sure about the blue line, so they better have a really good goalie. And Jack Campbell is supposed to be that guy. He's American, right? He is American. And he's so he was drafted by Dallas. It took a long time for him to pan out. He was the 11th overall pick. He was the pick. 11th overall pick. 12 right. years ago, 2010 draft. And then he went to the Kings and he started to salvage his career there as a backup to Jonathan Quick. And I think he, you know, I've read interviews with him and he said he learned quite a bit from Jonathan Quick. Um, and Jonathan Quick was actually kind of nice to him. Surprise, surprise. I don't know. I didn't think Jonathan Quick was nice to anyone. No. Nope. Um, then he goes to Toronto, 
And obviously he becomes a starting goalie, not enough to get the Leafs over the hump, but it wasn't his fault. Well, not completely his fault. Um, now he's signed up for a real pressure position in Edmonton because you do have all this talent up front and you also have a history of Mike Smith there. And Mike Smith's biggest problem really was a lack of predictability, like a yep. lack of consistency. There were times when Mike Smith played really well. And if you look at his overall numbers from regular season, you're like, wow, Mike Smith must have been really good. Yet there was just that lack of trust. He needs to be trustworthy for the Edmonton and others. And you know what else has to be trustworthy? The Vancouver Canucks penalty kill. Was it bad last year? I was looking at uh, some stats from early last season. There was a stretch early in the season where the Canucks allowed 19 power play goals over 10 games. Oh, I remember it. 19 power play goals over 10 games. They, they, for like a span of two and a half weeks, they gave up two power play goals a game. That's what it was like coming in here and doing this job. It absolutely torpedoed their season. I think more than anything, more than the bad vibes, more than Petey not looking himself, it was the PK. Uh, A few games after that stretch where they allowed 19 in 10 games, Travis Green was fired along with his coaching staff, poor Nolan Baumgartner, who was in charge of that PK. And it just, I remember we had him on the show few months later and we asked him what it was like and he was like it was it was like you almost got to the point where you were kind of it was like gallows humor where you're kind of just like what else what else can we do here um and of course the Canucks are going to be missing Mikheyev to start this season not for that long I don't think uh hopefully he's going to be back but he was one of the guys they brought in to help fix the PK Curtis Lazar being the other guy um, the Canucks were missing some key penalty killers at the beginning of last season as well in Brandon Sutter, who they never got back, and Tyler Mott, who they only really had for half the season because he missed the first part and missed the last part because he was traded at the deadline. Um, I've got a lot of questions about this, PK. Like, how much is Pedersen going to play on it? How much is Hughes going to play on it? But at the end of the day, when you look at the Canucks special teams, the PK has to be upgraded from dreadful to, like, fine. And the power play has to be lethal. And if you combine the power play and the PK percentages, you always want them to be over 100. Yep. Right? I don't think the Canucks were anywhere close to that last season. I don't know what their final tally was. Uh, their power play wasn't bad. But their PK got off to such a bad start. I don't know where it finished. It got slightly better. It would be hard to get any worse. Or frankly, it would be hard to be as bad as it was earlier in the season for the entire season. Mm-hmm. It just had to improve somehow. Uh, but special teams, you know, and especially against an Edmonton Oilers team that has one of the greatest power plays I've ever seen, I don't even know if a fine PK is going to get it done. I also wonder about how many penalties we're, we're going to see tonight. Oftentimes, the first game of the season, we'll see a parade to the penalty box as the referees uh, you know, say, like, this is the way it's going to be this year. This is what we're going to call. 
And you're like, okay. And that'll all change in the playoffs, right? Yeah, it'll change in the playoffs. Right. And I think, you know, a couple of people have texted. They're like, don't worry about last season. We need to focus on this season. The, because so many of the parts are still the same, uh, you have to look reflexively at what happened last year and go to this year. I'll say this. Another byproduct of last year's woeful penalty kill, and we talked about this with Nolan Baumgartner when we had him on the show, it wasn't even just the penalty kill. It was playing at even strength, being concerned about taking a penalty because you were so concerned about that penalty putting your team behind or maybe even behind further in a game. It affects everything. It doesn't just affect the special teams. Like, yes, the special teams are the special teams, but it affects how you approach your style of play. House of Positivity, I think this power play could be very good this year based on what I saw from the preseason. I think Kuzmenko is going to give them an added element. I was watching last night, and the Golden Knights broadcast was talking about this, that with the addition of Kessel, it gave their second unit so much more pop and so much more danger in terms of being a unit that can be out there for... 30, 45 seconds, and still provide you with some offensive punch. There's usually kind of set ways that teams go about their power plays. You know, the Washington one is top five guys, you get the full two minutes, Ovi's in the Ovi spot, goal score goals. I do wonder if the Canucks could have two pretty competent units out there and really spread the wealth a little bit, Mm -hmm. make it more difficult for the opposing penalty killers to try and match up. I think they've got the weapons for it. I do. I think this could the be Canucks, a very good power play. Oh, the Canucks power play is not only going to be good. I'm very confident saying that. It's going to be good. Uh, I would also, uh, I would also, it's also going eye. to be. It's also going to be really entertaining to watch. Yep. I would also keep an eye on Quinn Hughes because one of the things that was clearly stressed to him in the offseason is put more pucks on net. I think that's probably at five on five, but I would say it's probably equally as much on it, the power no, play. No, I think he's, he's stressing that. I, I don't know if that's he stressed. said. He I don't said the organization see, told him that. Okay, but I don't want to see him risking pucks on the power play. Five on five, fine. You can put him on net. But I don't want to see him forcing the puck on net just because he wants to goose his shot totals to see, be like Roman Yossi. I don't think it'll be like that, but I think it'll be more stuff from the point where they do like the, Ugh, the, the, the shot pass. Yeah, okay. For example, I, the Golden Knights did one last night where Petrangelo took a shot pass and Carlson tipped it off. I wonder if that's going to be in their arsenal. To me, the Canucks have the most success when they work the puck down low successfully. The Canucks have the most success when they're not predictable. That's what I would say. You need about four or five different ways of attack. When you start looking yeah. predictable on the no, power that's play, that's the... That, well, that, the Capitals have become a little bit too predictable, right? They just right. happen to have the greatest goal scorer ever on that. And there are some people that will say, like, it's actually not the most efficient power play because Ovi's always shooting. Right, because, I mean, right now we know what they, they like to do. Down low, bumper spot, that's one. And you know where Miller and Pedersen set up on the walls. That's who Pedersen, where he likes to shoot. Miller, where he likes to release from. The Hughes thing, and I, I don't want to make it as simplistic as get puck, put on net, increase shot totals. But maybe the idea of him being more of a shooting threat or when he's at the top, that his first priority isn't to dish to either side. I, that, to me, is almost exciting to see where it's going to go. Because as we talk about the evolution of his game and where is he going to get better, I think you know, you're know you going to say, well, he's a really great offensive player. It's like, yes, but can he add more weapons to his arsenal and become one of those top elite echelon guys? We actually do have to stop putting the Washington Capitals in that category of amazing power plays. Like They were 23rd last season. They have been traditionally, but it's gone down. Like a lot of things in Washington. I mean, the Ovi spot eventually is going to not be a thing anymore. 
You cannot continue no. to rip pucks like that when you yeah. get older. You're just you're not as strong. Well, no, but you're teams can catch on to it too, right? But it took about a decade and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's kind of the thing, right? Is that it was it was unstoppable in a way because mm-hmm. everyone knew it was going to happen. Ovi knew. The opposing PK knew, but no one could stop it. But you're right. Last year's PK was not great for them. I'm excited to to watch the Canucks power play, though. Yep. With with all the weapons that they've got. And I think you're right about the second unit. There's no reason why the Canucks second unit shouldn't put in a few goals as well. Now, how much time they'll get? That's a big question. Uh, remains to be seen. But regardless of which unit is out there, uh, who's quarterbacking it from the defensive side, whether it's Quinn Hughes or Oliver ekman Larson, like you've got a capable guy to do that, and you've got goal scorers. This is where the Canucks need to make hay. It is their power play, right? On the power play, you don't worry about um, the defense as much, right? You don't sit there and go, like, can is Pullman going to be a problem? Pullman isn't on the power play. You're not worried really about two-way ability, on the power play. This is where they need to be elite. And I, yes, I mean elite, like top five or the very least top 10 in order to make the playoffs. Because you have to have something that separates you from the pack. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I agree. You, you have agree. to be like, after you've made the playoffs, most teams can probably be like, well, this is probably the big reason why. I mean, in Vancouver, we can do why they didn't make the playoffs. We can do that really easily. Last We just went through it. Well, their PK was terrible. PD had that slow start. There was a bad vibe, you know? We we can do that sort of thing. When you do make the playoffs and you've had a good regular season, you can say, you know what? You know, our goaltending was really good or our special teams were really good or were we good on five on five? I don't know if the Canucks have the potential to be an elite five on five team. I know for sure that they have the potential to be an elite power play team. Uh, coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, we're going to turn to the Edmonton side of things as we continue to preview tonight's Canucks season opener. It's also the season opener for the Oilers. Tyler Uremchuk from Oilers Nation and from Daily Faceoff is going to join us. We will talk about what this team looked like in the preseason, what the expectations are, what we can realistically expect from Jack Campbell in net, not just tonight, but throughout the regular season. we got a lot more to get into, so don't go anywhere. Keep it on the dial. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet. 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. Eight oh two on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, this hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. You can do so by visiting them on the internet at Campbell-Pound.com today. We are just three minutes away from. Dan Murphy, Sportsnet's very own, joining us on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, so tonight, to set the stage for what's going on, a lot of NHL action tonight. I know that the season technically began last week when the Preds and the Sharks were in Europe. And I know that there was games last night, 
the sort of North American kickoff with the Rangers and the Bolts, followed by the Golden Knights and the Kings. Tonight's the real night that it starts. Let's be honest. Tonight is the night. You've got uh, the two all-Canadian affairs on Sportsnet, Leafs-Habs, followed by, yes, of course, Canucks and Oilers. You've also got Columbus and Carolina, Boston and Washington, Chicago and Colorado, and then Seattle takes on Anaheim in a game that you might want to pay attention to just to see what both teams look like in the Pacific Division. But obviously there's going to be a big focus tonight on the Vancouver Canucks. Jason said at the break that you're going to be paying very close attention to tonight's Canucks game. And I can understand why, not just because you're an ardent Canucks fan. <laughs> you shouldn't make it sound like I rarely do that. This is going to be one of those times where I actually pay attention to see, what's going on. See, Halford wasn't really paying attention to me when I said that. And my point was that I'm going to be able to do that because my house is going to be empty tonight. See, I didn't want to bring that part up. I didn't want it to make it sound like there was a glory in being alone for the evening. But uh, I was kind of feeling the same thing about being really dialed into tonight's game. Guys, tonight, I'm. you know what? I'm really going to watch the Canucks game. I'm going to pay attention to all three. I'm not just going to look... Uh, on my phone and see what the score is and then have some hot takes tomorrow. I'm actually going to watch this game. That's my commitment to you, the listener. I'm going to watch all four quarters of the hockey match tonight. That's what I'm going to do. That's my promise to you. All joking aside, though, uh, I know that we've been waiting for this day for a long time, so we might have built it up more than we should. But uh, it's so vitally important, the start of the season. Not just the first game, this road trip. Mm-hmm. And I, you know what? Even if it, the result doesn't necessarily go the Canucks way tonight, this is one of those rare times where I'll, I'll lean on a cliche like trust the process or yeah. I want to see the process. I actually do. I want to see, again, I want to see a lot of guys play over their heads, specifically the bottom part of the defense. I want to see this fourth line in what, and, and you know, normally I don't get excited about fourth lines. It's like, whatever. They're out there. They'll do their thing for nine or ten mm-hmm. minutes a night. But they're all new. But they're all new guys. And I'll be curious to see a lot of different things, how they're deployed, if they have any offensive punch whatsoever, all these sorts of things. Isn't it just at the end of the day you want to be more encouraged than discouraged? Yes, but there's also the pure curiosity factor, like neither positive nor negative. I just want to see what it's going to look like. Mm -hmm. I want to see what Kuzmenko looks like when a game is uh, out there that matters. Right. Right, I want to see if he's got this offensive ability I want to that will carry Bruce, over to the regular season. I want to see if Bruce Boudreau trusts him defensively. That's one of the things that he's been talking about. I would like to see all the changes that this coaching staff may or may not have implemented. What is Mike Yo going to bring to the table behind the bench? These are all things that are going to play out tonight. Uh, Andy, do we have Murph on the line? You can talk now. By the way, A-Dog is in a totally different studio, so we can't see our adorable, lovable friend. We just know that he's we back We put there. some newspaper on the floor there and... I've already, I've already had several accidents. I'm <laughs> glad you did that. <laughs> Thought ahead, which is good. Uh, yeah, Murph is on the line and ready to go. Okay. Uh, to the phone lines we go. We are joined now by Dan Murphy, Sportsnet's very own here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Murph? What's going on, fellas? You know what I don't want? What? And this is even, like, and I'm being impartial here. Like, you, you know, you're reporting. You, you have to be impartial. But I hate Edmonton's Goldhorn. No. Oh. I hate it too. So it's terrible. What? I don't. I'm not familiar with this. It's you obnoxious. Explain. It's obnoxious. It's obnoxious. Yeah. It's just it is. It's just like you know. It's dumb and dumber. You want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? It's that bad. <laughs> it's like, shrilly. If it was the Canucks goal horn, I would hate it. It's just it's it's so bad. It's 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 uh, it it nags almost. It does. Like you know, it it's almost telling you to like go clean up your room or something like that. Exactly. The, the, the way it sounds. No, yeah. I agree, Murph. So no goals for the Oilers. Even though they 
They will. They will. Yeah, but sometimes when the Oilers come out on the ice, I think they hit it too. Yeah, it's terrible. Right. Um, If you besides the Oilers' goal horn, um, if there's one thing that you're focusing on tonight, what would it be? What's top of the list? Well, I mean, are we talking about what's the one thing I'm focusing on for the Canucks to have success? Yeah. Or just the one thing I'm most interested in? Well, if the focusing for success is Demko, in my mind. I mean, um, you know, I know that defensive numbers were good under Boudreaux last season, but let's be honest, that was mainly because of the goaltender. And um, I think for this team to have success this evening, and at all this season, uh, once again, the goaltender is going to have to play like one of the top five guys in the league. Uh, I think that's I think that's plain and simple. I, I do think the Canucks will be able to score, but uh, as we know, the defense still has question marks. And uh, I think he is by far their most important player, followed closely probably by Quinn Hughes. So that's that's that. As far as just uh, interest goes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how Kuzmenko looks, for one. Um, I'm interested to see uh, if the Canucks look like they can keep up at all speed-wise with the Oilers, because that's going to be a very difficult task. And I want to see if Besser uh, is up to speed after, you know, having not played uh, uh, the last uh, few uh, preseason games. Yeah. So there's a few things that I want to see, because... Um, you know, you look at the lineup and it looks, I mean, it looks, it's funny how just inserting one player like Besser makes the lineup look so much better. Uh, but there's still some holes and let's face it, the Oilers are an excellent team. Um, and I think there's a four straight year that the Canucks have opened in Edmonton and they've yet to win one of those games. So, uh, it's going to be a tough out tonight and there's a lot of questions surrounding this Canucks team. Do you think this game has the potential to get a little nasty? I mean, yes. g- games don't really get all that nasty anymore, let's face it. But in, in terms of the, the modern NHL, these teams met during the preseason, didn't seem to care for each other. And it feels to me like the Canucks have been challenged by their coaching staff to stick up for each other a little bit more. I would agree. I think, I mean, first off, I think that third defensive pairing is going to look to cause a ruckus um, when they're on the ice, Burroughs and uh, Stillman. Uh, I think for sure, um, I, I, you know, in the last game in here in the preseason when the Canucks were here, there were a lot of kind of ugly hits and cheap shots. And after the game, both teams said, hey, we know we opened the season against these guys. So we wanted to send a message early. So I, I definitely think uh, there could be some harsh feelings in this one from the very, very early going. Um, and you're right. I mean, I, I think the acquisition of Stillman, uh, you know, I you know, he's, he's the kind of the old school tough to play against, right? Um, you know, not the new school where a player's just really good. And that's right. Tough to play against. I can't catch you. Um, <laughs> this is tough. <laughs> yes, exactly. But he's, <laughs> he's, he's not shy to hit. He's not shy to fight. He's not shy to go out of his way to try to, like, hurt someone with a hit. And I'm not saying illegally, but he'll chase it. Um, so uh, I think that acquisition uh, speaks volumes about what this team felt it needed. Someone texted in, and I thought this was a really good um, question here. Can you guys discuss how how Brock Besser is going to score 30-plus if he won't get any power play one time now that Kuzmenko has taken that spot? It's going to be in the conclusion of the texter on sign text, going to be tough to justify his contract. 
I do wonder about how many opportunities on the power play that certain guys will get. Like whether it's Brock Besser or Kuzmenko or, or, or Garland, they have a lot of power play talent, but there's only one first unit. And oftentimes that first unit plays like 70%, 75% of the time. It's a, it's a valid question. And I, you know, I, I don't think that he probably can score 30 if he doesn't get some significant power play time. Um, we know that second unit, uh, is, you know, more of a shoot first mentality. Uh, when, you know, whenever they get out there for the final 20 to 40 seconds of a power play, um, but let's be honest here too. Like we don't know how long Kuzmenko will last on that first unit. I think they liked what they saw um, in the preseason. I think he looked like he can handle the net front too, um, and so they're going to give him a look. But you know, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if Besser at some point does get reps on that first unit, um, and you know, not as early as tonight. I think that uh, we have to wait and see just if his hand is you know is fully healed, and I and I have no reason to believe it hasn't. I think he had the same injury on the other hand in college, and it, he was back within two to three weeks. Uh, so I intend to ask him about that today when we go to morning skate. But uh, it's a legitimate question, and you know, I think I think that first power play in is a place where Brock Besser wants to be. Um, so if he's not lobbying uh, Bruce behind the scenes, I'm sure he will be. If all of a sudden he's not getting any power play time up there at all. We're speaking to Dan Murphy here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Dan is a presentation of Freeway Mazda, Canada's number one consumer-rated Mazda dealer. Murph, uh, we are now into regular season time, and mm-hmm. Bo Horvat does not have a contract extension. How surprised are you that this has now bled into the regular season? I'm not super surprised. Um, you know, I think once the Miller deal was signed, um, Horvat's went on the back burner. Um, you know, I don't know all the agents, but I do know Pat Morris, and he's not going to make this an easy negotiation. Uh, I don't think there'll be a hometown discount uh, coming, especially not uh, with Miller signing ahead of him. Um, I'm guessing that the Horvat camp felt that they would have been done before Miller, and now that it's not, I don't think they're probably in a rush to do the Canucks any favors, uh, would be my read. Uh, so I'm not surprised it's not done. I, I think it's going to be a difficult negotiation. Um, I'm not saying it won't get done, uh, but I think the one good thing about this is that the player and Horvat will not allow it to affect his play. Uh, I don't think he'll allow it to be a distraction. I don't know if they'll have to at some point say we won't talk about it anymore, but I just think uh, knowing that player, it's probably one of the best guys on the roster to have this situation because I don't think it's going to be a distraction. He won't allow it to be. Hey, Merv, what do you think about my theory, and this is pure speculation, that the Canucks may be okay slow playing this, heading into the season without Horvat locked up long-term, if only to provide some sort of insurance against a slow start, like maybe they need to make a big trade or maybe they feel they need to make a big trade if things don't go well to start the season because, you know, trading Miller now, I don't know how possible that is. Um, you know, who, who could... Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly, right? Like uh, who's who could they who could they move and make a real like hey guys, wake up type of move but also bring back something significant in return. Yeah, I mean it, I mean that now he's at the top of the list. I mean for forever it was Miller, right? The guy we assumed was going to be dealt to uh kind of fill in some of the holes on the roster. Uh now Horvat in the final year of his contract at the top of the list. I think Garland would still fit into that camp. 
um, as a player you could move that would uh, attract something. Um, but, you know, I, maybe that's a valid point, Jason. I don't know if that's the reasoning, but I think everything was probably on the table right now. Uh, I think this first road trip is significant. And, you know, of course, it, it's the first five games of the season. You have to get off a good start after last year, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's significant in a number of ways. I think it's significant for the head coach. I think it is for a roster composition. It is for future trades. And it's not going to be easy. I mean, Edmonton will be very difficult. Philly is not a great team, but a home game early in the season under Tortorella, they're going to be running around like crazy, right? Uh, Washington's always tough. I'm not too sure about Columbus, but Minnesota is very, very good. This is, compared to last year's road trip that they started on, which should have been relatively easy overall, this is very difficult. And, um, you know, I think there's, I'm not going to say something's going to be done after five games, but if they get off to a really slow start here, I'll be very interested to see what the temperature is uh, around this club. A lot of familiar faces that are going to be out there tonight. I'm just Garland, Horvat, Pedersen, Hoaglander, Miller, Besser, Pearson, all of them. But that fourth line is comprised of entirely new guys, Dakota Joshua, mm-hmm. Nils, Oman, and Curtis Lazar. Uh, being in and around the rink, have you had a chance to like actually meet these guys and get a sense of their personalities or their excitement level for being on a line altogether? There's a whole new New look, fourth line for the Canucks going into tonight's game against Edmonton. Yeah, I mean, I talked to Lazar a little bit at, in, in Whistler and um, uh, just his desire to be here. And I think he sought out the Canucks as a landing spot just because of what the team needed, right shot centerman, penalty killer, and he thought it'd be a good fit. I haven't spoken to Niels Oman yet, but I will on this road trip. I think it's a little bit easier sometimes when you get on the road to introduce yourself when there's not as many people around. But I've talked to uh, Dakota Joshua as well, and um you know, I, I think probably that, as we talked about with, with Stillman, uh, this is a player that Canucks want to play a certain way. And, um, you know, if he uh, fails to do that, they'll, I'm sure they'll look elsewhere to fill that fourth-line spot. So uh, when you talk about how things can get out of hand, I bet he's got direct marching orders to play to his size. Um, and so I think that, uh, I'm not sure how good the line's going to be, but I think that line for sure will have an identity. Um, and one uh, that I think we all know we know what it is. Murph, the uh, the most important question of this morning is: Have you met uh, Rip, the guide dog, the puppy? Yeah. Is he a good boy? Does he give kisses? Is he going to travel with the team? Who takes care of him? Is he staying in nice hotels? Is is he going to be comfortable? He uh, was at the uh, airport yesterday with one of his litter mates, uh, a little female dog, I can't remember the name, um, and they were, yes, they were very cute. I, I liked the meme this morning that someone um, screen grabbed when Besser was holding the puppy up and saying, uh, you're, you're a good-looking boy, and someone said that's what Besser says in the mirror every morning. He's <laughs> 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 uh, um, not wrong. Man, I mean, I... Uh, uh, yeah, I've got a soft spot for dogs, as you know, and those dogs were so, so cute and so sweet. I don't know who's taking care of them now. They'll have handlers, I'm sure, right? Because you have to, for when a guide dog or a, or a service dog, for the first year, year and a half, you have handlers that train them and are with them before they give them up to uh, people that need them. So uh, we'll see, you know, if, uh, if Rip passed the test, because as you know, both of my two dogs 
failed the test, and that's why they're now pets. And <laughs> that's why, yeah. Dogs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, final question, non-dog related, as we let you go. Uh, can you give our listeners a sense of what's going to be in store for the broadcast tonight? Because it's a little bit different. It's a you know all Canadian doubleheader. It's Wednesday night hockey. Rogers Sportsnet. Tell us what we can expect, Murph. Well, you can expect uh, no me and yep. no Shorty and no Cheech. Okay. Those you guys will meet them in Philly. We have the remaining four games on this trip. We will do all four. But tonight it is a Scott Oak hosted production uh, with Louis DeBrusque uh, in the color chair and Hearn Ryan Singh doing the play-by-play. So I will be here in a news capacity. I'm going to walk over and see my fellow uh, Reporter Gene Principe, but uh, neither of us will be on the broadcast tonight. But we will be up for the final four games uh, of this of this road trip. Murph, thanks for doing this. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight, and I hope we don't hear any Edmonton goal horns. Oh my God, it's terrible. Yes, I agree. <laughs> All right, see you, Murph. You. Yeah, bye. That's uh, Dan Murphy, Sportsnet's very own, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. We got a question into the Dunbar Lumber text line after we were talking about number one defenseman and how many there are in the league, how many true number one defensemen there are. Okay, It's a pretty easy question. In your opinion, what makes a D-man a number one defenseman? Um, I mean, first of all, you got the ov- all the obvious stuff. He has to be, you know, good at hockey. That helps. Um, for a true number one defenseman, I-, I think a defenseman needs to be able to play in all situations, power play, PK, um, when you need a goal, he has to be out there. When you need to protect a lead, he needs to be out there as much as he possibly can. Yep. Uh, he needs to be able to log big minutes, 26, 27 minutes a night mm-hmm. occasionally, yep. uh, maybe even more during the playoffs or if you're down a man. But I think beyond that, there's something, there's something subjective that you can't really – well, you need to be offensively gifted now. That's just the modern game. Right. It just is. Right. If you if you let me finish my thought. Yeah. The subjective part would be like, can you control a game? Right? If if a game needs to be slowed down, like it's it's too frenetic or it's too crazy and your team doesn't need that, can you do that and can you calm a game down? Or if let's say you need a goal or you want to start pushing the pace. I think the best defensemen have that feel for the game where they can push the pace. I first heard that actually from, I think it was from Denny Potvin. And when they were talking about, this is a while back, um, because it was when Jay Bowmeister signed with the Calgary Flames Mm -hmm. out of Florida. Remember the Flames went out and I think they, they sent Florida something just for his UFA negotiating rights and then they signed him. And then there was a big debate, you know, is this guy a true number one defenseman? And Denny Potvin, who'd watched him as the color guy, I know he's not the most popular guy in Vancouver, but whatever, he was a great defenseman, said, you know, I don't know if he is a number one guy because I don't know if he can control the game. Right. And I thought that was a good way of looking at it. Yeah, and it's it's a, you put it the right way, it's subjective, right? You can't really uh, pinpoint exactly what controlling a game means, but when everybody sees it, they know it, right? I mean, that's kind of the analysis or assessment there for me now i mean the the biggest change that i've seen since starting working and covering all this stuff and all the different outlets is you can't be an elite nhl defenseman anymore unless you're putting up honestly like a minimum of 60 points a season yeah it's crazy the three guys that finished one two three in norris voting last year kale mccarr 86 points roman yossi 96 Mm -hmm. victor hedman 85. How many did Heiskanen get, though? 
well, Heiskanen ended up with 36, and he finished 12th in Norris voting. So I think the problem with looking too much at points is that it's so dependent on your teammate, right? Like, you and I could go out there barely being able to skate and probably pick up some second assists on the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, Yeah, but at at the same time, I'm I'm not making the rules. I'm just saying how it's evolved. And I think a lot of it, too... Especially, well, I'm not talking about voting for the Norris. I'm talking about what makes a true. I'm talking one about. I'm talking about a league-wide identifier is what like a top, uh, a top clear-cut number one yeah. guy would be. Because right how now, how many points would Heiskanen have if he played for Colorado? Twenty six, more points. Sixty. Twenty more points. Sixty than he minimum. Got last well, season, Devon, right? put it this way: Devon Taves was the second-leading D-man scorer in Colorado, and he had fifty-two. Yeah. Right. That's with McCarr getting a lot of like he got to eat mm-hmm. whenever he wanted because he's first unit power play, yeah. you know, out there with the big boys up front. But it's it's just interesting how that dynamic has changed. Like, I mean, Jay Bomeister was never a prolific offensive defenseman. And you talked about Ryan McDonough kind of masquerading as a guy. Is he a number one? Yeah. Top? McDonough was never a prolific offensive guy. Because it's funny, people think that oh, th- there's really old school thinking, like defensemen defend, and mm-hmm. that's what they're supposed to do. But you can actually really dictate the control and tempo of a game by what you do offensively, mm-hmm. the amount of time that you possess the puck, the amount of pressure you put another team under when you're putting pucks in the back of their net. Making the pass out of your own end. Those are all things that the modern defenseman is relied upon and required to do, and mm-hmm. the elite ones, like I said, there's probably only 10 of them. They can, I mean, and that's the bottom line, really. They do it all. Anything you ask them to do, they'll do it. They'll paint your porch. They'll walk your dog. They'll do it yeah. all. That's the number one defenseman. I think another thing that you can have with a number one defenseman is occasionally you can pair a third pairing defenseman with that number one defenseman and still call it a first pair. Like what the Canucks are doing. It's been done <laughs> elsewhere though, right? You've I had these, re- these really good defensemen and you're kind of like, well, we want to spread the wealth a little bit. We want to have a good second pair. So let's say you've got three good defensemen, right? You might put that number one defenseman on a first pair. Drew, I think this is this happened to Drew Doughty a bunch, yeah. right? Yeah, um, and maybe Duncan Keith when when Seabrook fell off because they still wanted Jalmerson in, in a different. Regardless, it doesn't really matter. But you, you can have that ability where like you make other players better. It's not unlike a a, a really good center. You can have a guy on that line who maybe doesn't belong there by himself, but because you've got such a good player playing center, then that player looks better than he really is. Coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, it is going to be what we learn time. Uh, I think that we might have one each, Bruff and I. A dog, you're off the hook today. No, what we learn is from you. We're going to try and turn this over to the humanoids as much as possible. So get them in. Hashtag them WWL. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Look, there was not one, not two, not three, but four MLB playoff games yesterday. You had to learn something from those. The NHL season started. There was Champions League, if you're into that. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. You must have learned something, so let us know. Text to the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket, 650, 650. Hashtag it WWL. What we learned are coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Rip, the guide dog, the puppy. Is he a good boy? Does he give kisses? This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.